0: I'm Janie. For those of you, if anyone doesn't know, doesn't know me, I'm Janie and I work here. One of the people on staff at the inn. And this isn't the last inn of spring quarter. Actually, next week, we're going to be having another inn, um, nine o'clock in the sanctuary. Is that right? Yeah. Nine o'clock in the sanctuary. So if you need a break during finals week, you just want to come chill, um, from in the midst of studying in worship. Um, that's an opportunity for you next week. If you've been at the Inn the past few weeks, you know that we have been going through a series about relationships. Not how to date biblically, but more an exploration of what is involved in relationships that honor God and honor other people. We heard from Ryan Ryan and his wife Julie about their dating relationship and the commitment they made to each other in marriage. And we heard from Amber about how important friendships are to shape who we are. And then last week, um, Voy talked about his experience in dating relationships and how much contentment, he discovered contentment is a choice that you make in difficulty in a relationship and you come to a resolution in joy. And speaking of Voy, um, he talked about his girlfriend Rachel last week at the inn and what he learned um, through his relationship with Rachel. And that is now his fiance. Yeah. He is. He's probably hiding. He's kind of shy. He doesn't really like to be the center of attention. But so they got engaged, and here's a couple of pictures from their engagement. Um, and I know whenever, whenever it seems like women see engagement photos, they're like, oh. And this is probably one of the only times where a guy would look at the engagement photo and be like, oh my gosh, they got engaged on the fifty-yard line. That's awesome. So great news for boy! You can talk to him about it after the end if you want to know a little bit more of the story. But it's very exciting. Um, dating turns into engagement. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, so, it's dating is interesting in our day and age. In 2011, it seems like internet dating is the way people meet each other. One in five relationships apparently starts on Match.com, and the other four probably start on eHarmony or something. I've done the internet dating thing. Um, I could tell you many, many horror stories of dating experiences. Not all bad. I actually know several people who met their spouses through internet dating, com and eHarmony, and other things. But meeting people is really, really difficult. And you have to kind of figure out different ways to start relationships and start dating. Um, it's interesting. Back in the 80s, when they didn't have the internet, they had to use other means in order to have dating services, and um, one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid was Love Connection. Have you, have you guys ever seen Love Connection? No? Oh my gosh, crickets. Oh, Christopher Luck, he's seen it. Um, every day after school, I would watch Brady Bunch and Love Connection, and so it was essentially kind of a video dating service. They would um, talk to... You know the camera and then make a video of it and that people would watch it and see whether or not they wanted to date that person and so I actually have uh, uh, like a montage of a video actual 80s video dating service that I want to show you guys um, that is really kind of interesting way that people used to date each other so or meet each other. Are you looking for me? I'm looking for someone Okay, early to bed, early to rise makes a woman healthy, wealthy and wise. That's why you're wiser than me. It's Steven. Hi, I'm Maurice. I'm an executive by day and a wild man by night. Hi, my name's Monroe. Uh, You've probably already noticed that I have incredibly blue eyes. Hi, my name is Phil. Uh, Most of my friends call me Big Phil. Okay. Um, I like to talk to people uh, deep into the night. I play guitar. I'm A-Tom. Hi, I'm Fred. Hi, my name's Mike, and if you're sitting there watching this tape smoking your cigarette, well, hit the fast-forward button, because I don't smoke and I don't like people who do smoke. So that's a little snippet for you. And, you know, I kind of feel bad. I was like, should I show that? Um, are we going to be laughing at people? But all of those guys were actually on the Ellen Show, and they were kind of talking about that and laughing at themselves. And they're all still single, actually. <laughs> Um, they're all on the Ellen show, kind of laughing at themselves as well. So we're kind of just laughing with them. But what struck me about that is the prevalence of mustaches. Like people only have like, you know, ironic must hipster mustaches, but like I lived through the eighties and I do not remember. Maybe it was just, I was in the wrong circles. I didn't see them, but so that is how people used to meet to, in order to start dating. Um, and this week I get to share with you from my own life, the journey I've been on to discover kind of contentment and commitment as we've been talking about in relationships. My dating journey is quite a bit different from voice. Um, In fact, it's the other extreme altogether where he went from relationship to relationship to relationship when things were um, not exciting anymore. My story is really one from singleness to singleness to singleness. Um, I'm 34, actually no, I'm 35. I just turned 35 a couple weeks ago. Um, Ah, yeah, that's very exciting. And I've had a few, I've had a few longer-term relationships in my life, and I've had some painful breakups. Um, so I have had some relationship experience, but I do need to let you know that all of the relationships I've had spanned Christmas, Valentine's Day, and my birthday. So even though I haven't had a lot, I know how to fit them into a calendar year, <laughs> which I think is impressive. My experience of dating over the last 20 years is primarily about being single. So have I chosen to be single? Am I living out some sort of call that God has put on my life? Not really. Um, the fact that I've always been single isn't something that I planned. It's just kind of the way things have worked out. When I was younger, sitting where you guys are sitting, if I was you know, 20 years old, listening to someone like me, I would have thought, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be married by the time I'm 30. Like That's what's going to happen next to me after I graduate. Um, so there's probably lots of different factors that kind of um, play into the fact that I'm still single I take some ownership. There's a few things that I can point to for myself. I tend to be really, really shy when I meet people for the first time. Um, I love to be around people and have fun. I like to party. Wooka, wooka, wooka. But I also don't mind being alone at all. I I don't mind being alone. And so I'm, I'm never one to be out trolling for my next BF. I'm a terrible flirt. Like anybody who knows me watching me flirt is like, what are you, just stop, just stop. Stop right now. I have a tendency to avoid disappointment. Um it's kept me away from relationships. And then of course there's the death stare. Um I've had multiple people on different occasions in my life tell me um throughout my life, you know, I was gonna come talk to you, but then you gave me the death stare, and I was like, oh and I'm always like, that's my face. <laughs> that's just my normal face. Like if you want me to give you a death stare, I'll give you a death stare. While I never want my identity to be defined by my relationship status or lack of relationship, in the midst of this journey of singleness I've been on, I've been trying to find fulfillment, contentment um, in my relationship with Jesus. Not by another person completing me. And um, I've discovered the importance of being content no matter what my marital status looks like. Wholeness is something that God desires for all of us. And wholeness is not something that we find in another person but that's something that I think we have a hard time um, experiencing and and knowing in our lives. So as we begin to take a look at that tonight, I want to stop a minute and just pray. God, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that our completion, our contentment, our wholeness can be found in you. God, I pray that we would be able to learn and know what that means in our lives. I pray that you would be present with us now, that you would um, make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, that they will be acceptable to you. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so we get a lot of different, different messages about being single. It used to be that single men and women were given specific titles, right? And the women's were a little less flattering. You were called an old maid or a spinster if you weren't married, Where a guy was called a bachelor, right? An executive by day and a wild man by night. <laughs> Um, nowadays we don't put labels like that on people, which I appreciate, but I think we're still told wholeness comes from another person. I mean, we are strong, individual, independent, liberated men and women. We can do anything we want, but then we're shown the complete opposite. Mike talked about this last week, about how TV and movies show us that there's not a happy ending until there's people at the end finding love, right? In a completely unexpected narrative turn, this guy and this girl that couldn't stand each other at the beginning of the movie, oh, they fall in love at the end. Or there's something like The Bachelor, right? Where the current bachelor, Brad Womack, so the first time he was on it, he didn't choose either of the women. And everyone was like, what are you doing? This isn't how it works, You propose to one of them, and then you break up three months from now, and it goes on the air. Like, that's that's not how it works. We expect a happy ending. So it seems like after feminism and postmodernism and every other available-ism, our culture, it still tells us we have two options for the end of our life. Finding the love of our life, getting married, living happily ever after, and death. (laughs) I know you're probably thinking, "Ah, Jeannie is just angry because she's old and she's never going to get married and she's on a fast track to Bittertown and Aloneville and Crazy Cat Lady Junction. (laughs) But don't get me wrong. I want my entertainment to be entertaining. Happy endings are much more happy. They're more exciting to watch than something like she lived happily ever after with the supportive community of family friends, an extremely satisfying job, and a healthy Rhodesian Ridgeback named Ray Ray. I don't have a dog, but if I did, it would be a Rhodesian Ridgeback named Ray Ray. Um, I like alliteration. But I can't, compare, I can't compare my own life. We can't compare our own lives and our experiences to entertainment. That is not reality. In fact, if, if someone says to you, you complete me, like Tom Cruise says at the, at the end of Jerry Maguire, run as fast as you can the other way, because that is a fast track to codependency. That does not a healthy relationship make when someone else completes you. Even though we get these messages of empowerment, there's still a lot of things in our culture that are telling us we are not complete until we find our completeness in another person. We can't be whole without romance. Now the church and Christianity is kind of all over the map as far as this goes and what scripture says about it. I was researching different things, what are what different um, approaches to kind of singleness and marriage. And um, there are some people who think that in order to honor God, you have to get married. You have to, if you're single, you need to get coupled up already. One of these books I was looking at is called Getting Serious About Getting Married, Rethinking the Gift of Singleness. And in it, Debbie Macon writes, The belief that remaining single is legitimate and godly is a work of the devil. Read that again. Satan dishonors marriage by fooling us into believing that singleness is okay. Men and women who are not connected to marriage are like the mutilated members of a mangled body. So I got that going for me. Which is nice. I, that's pretty extreme, but there are a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that think, until you get married, you can't honor God. And I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Um, Eileen on the other end where a lot of authors and church members are saying that the church actually has in the past not done the best job of bringing single people into the Christian community or acknowledging that they exist. In my experience, especially as I've gotten older, the world is kind of built for couples. and In a lot of ways, the church is like that as well. And what they'll do is they'll provide you with... The singles group over there. And unfortunately, in our culture, the singles group has kind of become synonymous with lame. You don't want to be a part of that. Um, It's too bad. Because of the major cultural differences between the world that we live in and the world of Scripture 2,000 or 6,000 years ago, we don't get necessarily clear answers from the Bible. For the most part, biblical marriage was an economic relationship. Or a man and a woman would come together. There, it would be arranged by their families. They would come together, and then they would play different economic roles in their relationship. The women weren't educated. They would take care of the household, and the men would have a trade to support the family. And um, that's how the social structure was. You know, everything that we have basically tells us everybody got married. That's why there's so much in Scripture that says take care of the widows because they just they didn't fit into the social structure, right? They didn't have any economic means provided for them. Now, that's not to say there wasn't love in biblical marriage. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible called Song of Solomon that is a husband and wife celebrating their love for each other. So there was definitely also love in um, the marriages that we see in Scripture. But other than that, there's not a lot about singleness or marriage. What we do have in Scripture over and over and over again is a call to community. Genesis 2, God acknowledges it's not good for Adam to be alone. So Eve is created, and this is about husband and wife, yes, but it is also about community, the call to care for one another as God's people. And then as you go through scripture, the Old Testament is all about the people of Israel being a community of God who cares for one another. And then you come into the New Testament and the church being started in the book of Acts, right? They're following what Jesus has has told them about, about loving. And what Acts is is really a call for brothers and sisters to care for and love one another. Now that brings us to the Apostle Paul. He has some actual explicit opinions about marriage and singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. So let's take a look at what he says um, in verses 8 and 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, not the windows, widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then he talks about marriage and gives some advice about marriage. And then in verse 32 through 35, he says this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So it sounds to me like Paul is upholding singleness as something to be desired. Being a single person is desired because you can more easily find your wholeness, your contentment in your relationship with Jesus. You're less tempted to find your wholeness and your contentment in another person. Paul is saying that single people go where they can be satisfied for the needs in their life, and that is through Jesus. He's making clear that... Um, When you aren't romantically linked, it's easier to know where your identity comes from. And it comes from Jesus. Yay, singleness! Right? I'm cheering. Um, There have been more than a few times in my life where I have totally agreed with what Paul says about being single. Because I've really thought, wow, I enjoy being single because I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, wherever I want who, what, when, where, why, why ever I want to. When I talk to my friends who are coupled up, some of whom have children, about their marriage relationships or their frustrations with raising kids or the fights that they get into or how little sleep they get, I'll think, man, it sucks to be them. There's no way getting to have sex is worth all that. I know, people would... There are some people who would disagree, but, um, one of my friends actually recently went through a really painful, messy divorce and I would not have changed places with her for anything, but because I'm single, I had the time and the space to be present with her when she really needed it. And she stayed with me. She drove up from Portland several times to stay with me in the midst of this, this really difficult situation that she was going through. God has created all of us with gifts and talents to be used for the kingdom of God. To be used beyond just trying to find this person to complete who we are. And as a single person, I have been able to do some awesome stuff. In my 20s, I lived in Tennessee, in California, in Jersey... Beating up the beat. Um, I know I'm super hip because I'm single. I got a master's degree. I lived in Africa. I got to travel and meet amazing people. I figured out what I'm passionate about and what I love. And I have um, invested in these great communities. And I've been able to develop these lifelong friendships. And I have become a kick-butt aunt. To my nieces and nephews. My life is full and really awesome. But I also know if I stood up here and told you how great it is to be a swinging single, you wouldn't totally believe me. There are also elements of singleness that have been really difficult. If I'm honest, I see the biggest failure in my life is the fact that I'm still single. There are times when I would love to be the most important person in the world to someone else. I want to be adored. I want to be celebrated. And I don't have that. And it's a struggle to get through dark times when I'm confused about myself and God. And the loneliness is overwhelming. And sometimes, always being the single person, always being the third wheel, can really, really suck. At this point in my life, every single one of my friends anywhere near close to my age is engaged or um, married. And I've had great opportunities to celebrate with them. Just this joy of, of their marriage and their relationship and having, have them having kids. And the weddings I've been in now is in the upper double digits. But there was one day last year. And two of my friends that I've had my whole life growing up, they both called me on the same day. Right, Two of my sisters in singleness, they both called me, same day to tell me they had just gotten engaged. And I was thrilled for them. And then the, the mail came that day. And in the mail, I also got a wedding invitation from another friend and a birth announcement from another friend who had just had a baby. And I was kind of like, okay, first of all, um, am I being punked by Match.com? Like, I get it. I'll go sign up. But also, thanks for the reminder. I'm alone. And while I haven't had a lot of relationships, I've had a lot of almost relationships. You know what I mean? Like you're hanging out with a guy or a girl and you're getting to know them um, really well. And you're moving into kind of what would be like a relationship-y place. And you're about to have that DTR. You know that's what's coming next. And then it's over. It's done. And no matter how secure I am in those moments, I think... What's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not funny enough? Am I not pretty enough? I'm obviously not enough. And it's then that I go to the last place I can go to remember that there's only one thing in my life that is enough, and that is Jesus. The biggest struggle comes down to comparison. The reason we ask questions about whether there's something wrong with us is because we look at other people's relationships or what we think other people have in their relationships and we think that it will bring us everything we need. If I just had that, I would be complete. I would know what wholeness is like in my life. But what God wants for us, the promises God has for us do not include comparing ourselves to other people, coveting what their experiences are, God's promises don't include obsessing so much about what is wrong with us that we are blind to the transformation that God is doing in our lives. God's promises include completion and contentment in him alone. No matter who you are, no matter if you're single or you're dating or you're married, whether you're a man or you're a woman, God's desire is that each of us would know wholeness in him alone. That is what God wants for us. I think if we're to accept and live as people who find wholeness in God in our life, there are two important things, two important things that we need to hold on to. And I think these are applicable to anybody, no matter what your romantic status is. Finding wholeness in God applies to everyone. So the first one is this, function over form. Function over form, the form our community takes, the form that our love takes, isn't nearly as important as the function it serves in our lives. When it comes to relationships, a verse that people quote often is Psalm 37, 4. When it comes to finding a husband or a wife, Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this is about Israel finding um, comfort in the midst of wickedness and chaos all around them. And this is used a lot and people are saying, the desire of my heart is to be married. But what happens is we flip this psalm around. And we delight ourselves in the Lord after he gives us the desires of our heart. For example, it's definitely a desire of my heart to be married. I've been praying for my husband since I was 14. And I have a picture in my head of the form it's going to take. It's going to be a man. Um, Picture in my head. I have a picture in my head of what that relationship is going to look like. How I'm going to have that filled in my life. But what really is my desire? My desire is to be known, to be loved, and accepted. And the way God may provide that for me in my life, it might not look exactly like I think it will. But that doesn't mean I can't find it. That doesn't mean that God won't provide me with it. I might have to work a little bit harder to make sure I have those needs filled in my life. But God has filled those desires in my life for love and acceptance and community and the friendships and the family that I have. The form that love takes might not look anything like what I expected it to look. But the function of that love and acceptance is a way in which I can know God's transformation, God's wholeness, is real in my life. Do I want more? Do I want a romantic relationship? Sure. But for the most part, I have the love I need to be reminded of the multitude of ways in which God is giving me the desires of my heart. The function is so much more important than the form. The second thing we have to hold on to is contentment over comparison. Last week, uh, Voy talked a lot about contentment, and I'm going to talk about it specifically in comparing ourselves to other people and comparing ourselves to other people's circumstances and their situations. I think comparison is the drug of the disappointed. Comparison is a drug, and we become addicted to it. Right? We return to it over and over and over, and every time we do, we are always disappointed and miserable. And I think Facebook is your dealer. <laughs> Serious. That is where you're going to compare yourself to people over and over and over again. And the outcome is always you feel miserable about yourself because you don't have what you think other people have. We look at other people's romantic situations and we make up in our heads how perfect and awesome and how complete these people are and we think, oh man, my life sucks. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're in a romantic relationship and you look at somebody else and their singleness and you think, oh man, I wish I had what they have. Like any addiction, we have to discipline ourselves to stop comparing, to not believe the lies of comparing ourselves to other people and to be content Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4. These are a couple of my favorite verses in all of scripture. I write them in a 3x5 card and I carry them around in my pocket just so I can be reminded of them. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him all this through him who gives me strength. And I want you to notice about this Paul didn't miraculously wake up one day and be like, "Oh, I am I am completely satisfied. Totally content." What does he say? "I have learned how to be content." He has learned what it means to be content. And what it means to find his wholeness in Christ. And the way that we can learn contentment is to give up our drug of comparison. It is sinful how much time we spend thinking about ourselves when we compare ourselves to other people. We've idolized relationships, romantic relationships, things that are going to complete us. And we have to stop comparing ourselves. If you don't hear anything else from what I say, stop comparing yourself and your situation. That's the only way you're ever going to learn contentment. In a world that constantly compares and constantly ranks people, it's not easy to believe that there is a love that doesn't do the same. Our God never compares us. Ever. Ever. In fact, I know this is hard to comprehend, but we are all God's favorites. We can't see ourselves through the eyes of what we consider to be our biggest failures. We can't see ourselves through the the fact that we don't compare to everybody else. We don't look like them. We don't measure up. We are called to see ourselves through the eyes of God's love. To remember that God chooses us. God chooses you. God chose me. It is God's love. It is God's contentment. It is God's wholeness that I want to put my identity in every single day through the relationship I have with Jesus. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to choose Him just like he chooses you every single day. Gracious God, we are so grateful that you have chosen us. We are so grateful that in this world of comparison and ranking, in this world where everyone else is better than us and smarter than us and prettier than us, that you choose us. And God, we pray as we come to your table now that we can be reminded of the ways that you have made us whole. We can be reminded of the love that we have in our lives. We can be reminded of the ways that you are continuing to transform us. You are continuing to choose us every single day. God, we pray as we are here as a community, we would know the love that you have for us and the love that we have for one another. In your holy name, amen.